Welcome to Choir Talks. I started reading Revelation last week. Now, when I mentioned that to several of my Christian friends, uh, they've all had something humorous to say, mostly because of how 2020 is going this year. It seems like an apocalyptic year in light of all the trouble we've had. But the truth is, it's just been a, a book that I haven't read as much. Uh, I've avoided it because it's difficult, right? There's so many mysterious symbols and creatures and difficult scenes to understand. Sometimes I feel at a loss to be able to understand it or interpret it. But the book itself in the first chapter promises this, a blessing uh, to anyone who reads aloud or listens and takes to heart what is written. So, you know what, it's a, we should be reading Revelation. There's a blessing for us in reading that. So, here's one of the letters. Um, as, as you know, probably the, the book of Revelation, the chapter one is just an introduction, basically, and you see the vision of Jesus. And then chapter two and three is a series of letters to um, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so, here from chapter two is the letter to Pergamum. Let me read it to you. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write... These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith to me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food and sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have are those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the person who receives it. You can see what I mean. It's full of just symbolism and unusual things that are hard to understand. Let's just kind of go back through some of those. First of all, he says, uh, there are, these are the words of the one who has the double-edged sword. All right, this one's easy. I understand this one because in the first chapter, it already identified that Jesus is the one who has the double, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, which represents the word of God. Um, so this is the letter from Jesus, and Jesus is speaking. And what Jesus says is, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Now, Pergamum was a city that was famous for temples. Uh, it had a temple to Dionysus, which was the god of pleasure, and one to... Asclepius, uh, who was the god of healing. In fact, that was represented by uh, the snake, and, and it, they used the symbol that had the two snakes intertwined that you've probably seen on in a hospital or on the lapel maybe of a doctor. It's a symbol we still use today. It's a symbol of healing. That was uh, the same God here in, in the city. And then uh, there was also temples to Caesar. This was the first city that began to build temples and create a cult about Caesar and recognize him not as a man only, but also as a God. So this is a city full of spiritual confusion. Hey, can we identify? And looking around our culture, there are so many different spiritual ideas uh, and ideas about spirituality that are confusing and conflicting and and so they lived in a similar um, culture and similar circumstance. Uh, 
So Jesus, first of all, he has something good to say. He says this, yet you remain true to my name. In all of this confusion, he says, you remain true. You are really following me. And then he mentions Antipas. Um, Antipas was an early Christian martyr. And so he was killed among them, but even his death didn't shake them. It didn't make them renounce their faith. And so Jesus commends them for this. So Satan wanted to crush this church. He wanted to come with overwhelming power. And so he had Antipas killed and he wanted to intimidate this church into going away, but it didn't work. They stayed true to Jesus's name. So There's a Satan plan B here, and it sounds like this. In verse 14, he says, some of you hold, here's Jesus, what I have against you. Some of you hold to the teachings of Balaam. Uh, Likewise, you also hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. All right, Balaam was a true prophet. Uh, He was a prophet of God, but he gave in to a a wicked king called Balak, who hired him to to uh, because he wanted to crush the Jews, and so he hired him to pronounce a curse on the Jews, uh, but but God wouldn't allow him to do that, and so instead Balaam tells Balak, befriend them, bring them into your temples, and so they did that, and they brought the Jews in, and little by little they began to compromise with the evil culture around them. They were compromisers, and so what this is what this letter is about. Jesus says. You've been true to me, but some of you are compromising. Some of you are being influenced by the spiritual ideas around you. Um, so what was the problem? Twice, he says, there's Balaam and then the Nicolaitans, and he uses the same phrase in both. He says, you held to their teaching. You listened and accepted wrong ideas. You accepted ideas about spiritual truth that weren't truth. It wasn't the truth that comes to me. So he says, I'm going to come to you with the double-edged sword. In other words, with the word of God. I'm going to come to you and chastise you. I'm going to come to you and, and bring judgment through the word of God. And then he says, whoever has ears, let him hear. So he's writing to a church, but it's also to individuals. It's even to us as we lean over his shoulder as he's writing to this church and hear whoever has ears. That's to an individual also. Let him hear. So we are to apply what we hear about this church to our own lives, and I think that's easy to do. We live in a spiritual a world that is spiritually confused with conflicting ideas, and in the middle of that, there's too many of those ideas that affect us in the church. It's too easy for us to drift off and not be solid to what the Word of God teaches. And so we need to have ears and hear and understand that. Um, So he offers at the end three rewards for those who are faithful. He says that, that he will give hidden manna to us. Now, most people think this word hidden manna, this term, refers to the manna that was taken by the children of Israel out of the desert and put inside of the Ark of the Covenant, hidden in there. Um, That's a beautiful picture. What he's really saying, this manna represents God's provision for us. And the Ark of the Covenant represents God's powerful presence. So what he's saying there is, whoever overcomes, I'm going to give you provision and, and shelter and refuge in my powerful presence. Uh, and a second thing he says is, I'm going to give you a white stone. Now, nobody knows for sure what this white stone represents. However, it was the custom of the time when there was a murder trial 
that if the person on trial was acquitted and, and judged not guilty, then he was given a white stone to represent his, uh, his purity and the lack, lack of guilt. So that's a beautiful picture of us, you know, the ones of us who are, have, have been true, who, have, have, who are Christians and have overcome. Uh, we are found not guilty in Christ, and our, our, the faithfulness that we have is evidence that he is in us and with us. And then he says, on that white stone, there's going to be a new name written that no one else knows except for the person who receives it. Nobody really knows exactly what that's talking about either, but the idea of a name change is important throughout Scripture. Think about um, childless Abram, who God spoke the promise to, and then he changed his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of nations. Even when he was childless, he was exalted father, which was almost a joke. But then when God promised him to make him the child, uh, the father of nations, he changed his name to Abraham. Think about um, Saul, who persecuted the church, but when he was converted miraculously, he was given the new name of Paul. Think about um, weak-spined Simon, who denied Jesus, but he was given the name Peter by Jesus, the rock. So perhaps we are given this new name because we too have already been transformed by the power of Jesus and now have, have a new identity and a new destiny because of our relationship with him. Hey, these letters in the first three chapters of Revelation are awesome. I encourage you to read them and to see what the Spirit says to you as he says, for anyone who has ears, let him hear. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Father, for this letter and for the blessing that you promise us from reading this book. And Father, Lord, speak to us in, in light of everything that is going on around us, Father. Let us be true to you. Let us be faithful, God. Even when there's persecution threatened, let us be faithful. And Father, let, let us hold true to the word and not uh, take off in any tangent of false teaching or false ideas that are, are against your truth. Let us be faithful to the end, Lord. And I ask that over all who listen and all who read this tonight with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me this week. I encourage you to join us at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. We meet on Sundays at 9 or 1030. You can join us via live stream, Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Find us on Facebook or on our YouTube channel.